0: Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Hello, I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rask. And you're listening to the Australian Finance Podcast. A podcast where we talk about money, finance, investing, and all that good stuff.
1: We're helping you invest your time and money better one podcast episode at a time.
0: Yes, so please subscribe if you like the series. And don't forget you can find us on social media. We're on all the platforms. Kate, where can people go?
1: You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Rask Australia. That's R-A-S-K Australia.
0: Mm -hmm. And I'm Owen Rask on Twitter or Owen Rask A U on Instagram. Beware the imitators. People like to copy us. Without further ado, let's jump in to today's episode.
1: Amy Lenardi, welcome back to the Australian Finance Podcast. So good to be back. Now if listeners haven't been around for too long, they won't know that you're a regular on the show as our property advocate. And you're also one of the hosts of our property free property course on RASC education. But if people haven't heard about you before and what you do in the world of property, would you be able to give us a quick 30 second rundown?
2: Oh, absolutely. So I'm a property advocate. I mostly do buyer's advocacy. That means I help buyers buy properties in short. Um, and I also do a bit of vendor advocacy as well. So I, I help vendors sell their homes. So I am, I think of myself kind of like a a GP, you know, when you want to go to the doctor and then they um, are there to diagnose your issue and then help you solve your problems and they might send you away to some specialists. But I'm sitting there in the middle um, helping people achieve their property journeys. I've been doing this for 10 years now. I've been involved in over about, I'd say about 1,200 purchases and sales to date. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah. So quite a few. Yeah, so most
1: people would only buy maybe a handful of properties in, in their life because maybe they're upgrading from their first home to a family home to downsizing, but you've really seen it all with that many properties.
2: <laughs> yeah, so we would do a couple every week. we do auctions pretty much um, almost every weekend. Um, I'm also a qualified property investment advisor as well, so I help all types of buyers and sellers from first home buyers to downsizers, investors, expats, everyone, everyone.
1: (laughs) Awesome. Well, maybe to kick off today's conversation, I was wondering if you have any thoughts on what property and the property market might look like in 2023, because I know everyone loves a forecast.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And forecasting can be pretty dangerous when it comes to property and finance, but um, I would say if I would have to be a betting person, I would expect a Sort of nothing, nothing too dramatic to be happening next year. So potentially still a little bit of um, movement in interest rates, but we've seen the most dramatic changes in interest rate. Um, movements happen this year and the flow-on effects to the property market. So what I anticipate is a little bit of stabilisation next year. I don't expect anything dramatic in terms of dips or peaks or um, or, or crazy things to happen. Um, but what that has actually meant is that renters are sort of seeing the brunt of the flow-on effects. So as first home buyers are a little bit less excited about getting into the market this year because the cost of um, their mortgage repayments have gone up so much, they're sitting back a little bit and they're renting instead. And that, ha- that has put upwards pressure on the rental market. Um, so yes, in theory, investors, they're now paying a-, a larger amount in their mortgage. So they're yes, they're wanting to pass that along to renters, but it doesn't necessarily just work that way. So just because an investor says, oh my gosh, my mortgage is is so much more, I'm just going to put my rent up. Well, You can't necessarily do that unless everyone else is doing it, unless there's demand still. There needs to be that demand. And that demand in the rental market has come from the fact that there's less first home buyers out there. So upward pressure on rent, I still think that's going to be an issue next year, which doesn't really help with inflation. Um, But for buyers, I don't think anything dramatic is going to happen up or down.
1: Okay. So very similar conditions for first home buyers next year. I think so. Yeah, because uh, it has been, it's been very interesting now owning a property, watching the variable interest rate on my loan go up and up and up every yeah. month.
2: Oh my gosh. And and that's really exciting. You told me just before we started recording that you bought a property this year. So congratulations. How Thank What's it like you. being a homeowner?
1: Oh, I, I don't think I really understood the mindset before I... I bought a property, I was just like, okay, well, I can invest in shares, I can invest in property, I can invest in other types of assets. But there's something about owning a property that's quite different and just how tangible it is that you can touch the walls, but it's also yours and you can do things with it, which is just quite different to owning other types of investments or other assets.
2: Oh, absolutely. And buying a home as well uh, versus buying a, an investment property is different too. And I have a lot of clients come to me and they say, I want to buy a home, but it's also going to be an investment. And I say, well, they're two very different things and they're generally going to tick um, a lot of different boxes for you. So it's really important to sit back at the beginning and say, all right, well, even though we'd love to uh, cross, cross those over a little bit, what really does this property need to achieve for you? Is it first and foremost a home or is it an investment? And if it's a home, we can certainly apply investment grade um, criteria. But if I told you, Kate, all right, you've got X amount to spend, the best investment you could buy, the best location you could buy for that budget and your cash flows is, uh, say, Geelong, and you would say, well, Amy, I don't really want to live in Geelong. <laughs> and then I would say, well, it's not really a pure investment and then it's more of a home. So I think that's um, that's something really important to have a think about when it comes to your property brief is what what does this property need to achieve for you?
1: Yeah. And I think those lines definitely get a bit blurred because suddenly you're going, oh, I can live here. I can put this in this room and you're losing sight of maybe I did want this to be an investment property and it's not Mm. really what works for me. It's what might be the better investment.
2: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I
1: know you, in in our property course, you had a, a, I think it was a checklist on how to write your own property brief as well, didn't you? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to putting your property brief together, there's we we call it four pieces of the property puzzle. (laughs) So all four have to be able to fit together. So the first piece is your price or your budget, how much you've got to spend. That's generally pretty inflexible. The second is your locations. The third is the size of the property itself or the land. And the fourth is the condition of that property. So how renovated or dilapidated it is. And then if you have those four pieces of the puzzle and you look and you can't really see anything that's ticking all of those boxes, it means that doesn't necessarily exist. So sometimes you have to compromise or manipulate one of those pieces. So say move a a suburb further out or a few suburbs or look at something less renovated or smaller until that puzzle fits together.
1: Yeah. And I I remember it was certainly quite a lot of that fitting that puzzle together. Once you had your outline, trying to look on domain or realestate.com and working out is what I wanted. Actually, does it exist? And maybe yeah. it does, but only in very rare circumstances. So I might yeah. have to keep looking a bit longer if I want that specific property.
2: Absolutely. So if you and in if you realize by doing your research that what you want what you want is quite rare, it means that time is going to be your friend. And I suppose the benefit of a market at the moment where prices aren't increasing um anymore, or particularly in Melbourne, is that you you might have the luxury of time versus a year ago or a couple of years ago where every week prices were going up. The longer you waited, the less, the more your purchasing power was eroded. So you didn't have that luxury of time. So then your only time is the pressure that you put on yourself and when you want to make a decision.
1: Yeah. And did you have any circumstances this year where you maybe time helped or some other factor helped and you had a really good client success story with property?
2: Ooh, so, yes, actually, I had this um this really interesting uh, negotiation where I had a client. They had a um, you know, their brief was quite specific, but it definitely achievable because they had the budget for it. We saw many, many properties. I got them a lot of off markets. We had a lot of close ones. um, and then we ended up finding the perfect property off market it was great we put an offer in and then the vendor's circumstances changed they were moving to queensland the property they were interested in buying in um buying got flooded So they had to change their plans completely and actually put everything on pause for a couple of months. And we couldn't find anything else we liked as much. So we were quite despondent about that. Um, And at that point in time, there was another buyer really interested as well. And what ended up happening is we did have the patience. We did wait for that. It did come back on. Now that's not always going to happen, but we were searching in the meantime. And the benefit of, of time for us in that situation was when it did come back on, those other buyers bought something else. So, we ended up being the only person interested and didn't have to compete in, in any kind of competitive situation there. So, that's that's a pretty unique example. Um, yeah. On the flip side, I've had quite a few other examples this year where it's been the opposite. So, I had a client recently, we bought an apartment in South Yarra. They called me out. The auction was in a week. And they said, oh, but I, we, we've only just started looking. And it's the first one that we've seen, but we really, really love it. But we're just not sure because we're really fresh to all of this. We yeah. did a lot of homework with those clients. We looked through three years worth of sales before that to highlight how perfect this property was for them. And that g- gave them the confidence to be able to throw their hat in the ring. And We actually bought that on our last bid, which was really, really exciting. But if they hadn't have spent that time and workshopped that homework with us, and if we hadn't pursued it, I don't think we would have been able to replicate it. So, sometimes just um, having patience is important, but also if the right property comes up, making a quick decision can also be just as important as well.
1: Yeah. And I guess that comes back to doing your homework so you can make the quick decision if the right thing pops up. because. I would probably feel in the same boat. If I had only looked at one single property, I'd probably yeah. go, well, there's probably other things out there. It's like, I can't buy the first dress I see. I have to check out other <laughs> options and maybe I come back to that. But sometimes you like it'll be sold before you come back to it.
2: Oh, exactly. And the good thing about property and property research is that it is all there. It's in the sold section of realestate.com.au or domain. It's free and accessible and you can actually go through you know months or years worth of sales to be able to benchmark that property against.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of information. And in the first client's story, you mentioned the the term off-market. And if people haven't heard that term before, are you able to just explain it, please?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, off-market is essentially any property that isn't advertised on the internet. So, the only way that you can find out about these off-market properties is through the real estate agents, sometimes directly from vendors through various sources. That's a lot rarer, Um, but it's communicating with the agents. I- um, liken it to the dark web of the property market <laughs> in that you don't know it exists un- until you get told about it or told about an address. Um, they can be awesome, like in my client situation where it was a perfect property, it was reasonably priced and we had no competition. But other times they can actually be a real waste of time because that vendor is not motivated or maybe they're overpriced or the agent's just trying to get a sale from an unreasonable vendor um, and they haven't paid anything for marketing. So they can they can be hit or miss.
1: Yeah. I noticed a few times when I, I looked at apartments this year, they said expressions of interest because mm-hmm. they hadn't really worked out their their sale plan or when they were going to move out. They just wanted to see what prices people would put
2: forward, <laughs> which I thought was quite strange. Expressions of interest uh, can be really, really frustrating because – um, what I find sometimes is I'll say to the agent, all right, well, what's what's the strategy here? How are you going to sell this property? And he say, they'll say, Oh, it depends. And that just means that they haven't got a game plan because their vendor might not be um as as motivated or they might not have a price in mind. And that can be really challenging because when it comes to buying a property not at auctions or private sale, there's not really not really any rules or formula or set agenda that agent has to stick to it can be discretionary. So it's really important at the very start with those kind of EOIs to say, all right, what are the timeframes here? Can I buy it now? Does it have to wait till the EOI expires? What's the plan? At what level would the vendor be happy to sell? What's your process around how you can handle other offers? There's just so many moving parts there. So yes, they can be quite frustrating.
1: Yeah. So I think there are a few good questions to grill the agent (laughs) on to see if this is actually going to happen in the near future or if it's just a, oh, maybe I'll sell.
2: Absolutely. And, the, and one of the benefits around um, being at Victoria, I know that listeners will be national, but in Victoria, they do still have to put a price on the statement of information, which isn't necessarily what the vendor is going to say or it, it is supposed to be. Um, but that at least will give you some kind of rough benchmark versus other states where it's kind of, um, it's a little bit more fluffy.
1: Yeah. I thought the the ranges on those statement of information, sometimes they were quite wide when I was having a look
2: 10% is the allowed tolerance with the range. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: yeah, Because yep. I remember speaking to an agent and I I said, well, would they sell for the bottom of the range? And they said, mm. no, <laughs> we would only sell for the top of the range. And I was like, well, why do you put a range on?
2: I know. I know. It's really, I mean, the the I, I always think about ranges and it's kind of just, it's to invite people to come along with budgets in that vicinity, because just say so that vendor couldn't get an offer at the top of that range. They still want to potentially have other options and maybe they might not sell for the top of the range at the start of their campaign, but in a couple of weeks, perhaps they would consider something towards the bottom. So they still want to get those buyers in to have that opportunity. Um, but yeah, it can be a little bit deceptive if the their vendor would never ever sell for the bottom of that range. It can be a bit frustrating.
1: Yeah, I think that was one of the most interesting things going through the, the property buying journey is dealing with all the players and the different mm. tactics and approaches they use, which was a world I hadn't really been exposed to before this year.
2: Oh absolutely and as a buyer it can be really hard to have those conversations with agents like when I'm speaking to agents because I do it every single day and my husband's actually a real estate agent as well so I literally talk to him <laughs> every night you as well do talk no to- um but I um I know how to ha- ask the right questions and how to um, ask in a firm but not um not aggressive way and you know get the right answers um and then but, but I I totally appreciate that as a buyer especially a first home buyer that can be a bit of a daunting process. Um, and I think it really does come down to a little bit of practice and exposure. And the more you get out there at the very start during your research phase, speaking to agents, the better.
1: Some great tips there. Now on the, on the flip side, have you got any wild property stories from this year to share?
2: (laughs) So I was having a think about any wild stories from my purchases or sales and I was like, oh, you know, it's been a little, nothing wild this year. However, um, (laughs) I What I did think was wild was actually the block this year. So, mm. for anyone that watched the block, it was um, a very interesting, it was a totally different um, scenario to what they usually did. So, it was 10 acres of each property out in Gisborne. It was a, you know, 4 million circa price point. Um, and, uh, you know, but when they had um, uh, canvassed that area, you know, regional was booming, regional was doing very well. And by the time they finished, not so well, and that's just because of the interest rate hikes. And there's just what it, what it what it demonstrate, and what I think was crazy about it was just the fact that, um, you know, the producers might not have considered. Well, there's just not going to be as many buyers out here for this type of product. And we saw that at the auction, there was very very limited competition. And if they didn't have Danny, who buys all of the blocks every year then you know a lot of those properties would have struggled to sell. And um it just I think it was just a really disappointing result for everyone. Mm. And it just demonstrates that especially for, for anyone that thinks doing development, you know, it's always you're always going to have a good result. And if you spend X, you'll make Y. Um, especially because there's a lot of time between when you uh, get your planning permit and you actually sell your property, things can change really quickly. And I'm in the same boat. I'm doing a development in in Melbourne at the moment and from the time we've purchased to now when we're knocking down, which is last week, to the time we'll sell in a year, it, it, who knows what the market will be like in a year. So it's very, it can be very challenging as a developer to make decisions like that. Yeah, interesting.
1: And like even for you, the interest rates would have changed like when you bought compared to when you sell, they'll be paying very different interest rates on that absolutely. loan.
2: Absolutely. absolutely, Yeah. And it completely changes the feasibility of that site. So um, yeah, that, I thought the block, <laughs> I was watching the auctions yelling at the TV because <laughs> it was also not not a normal situation where for anyone that watched it, you know, the the, the 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 contestants were yelling out, pass it in, pass it in, pass it in. That doesn't happen in normal auctions. You have a reserve that you set as a vendor, these contestants didn't get to set their own reserves. You don't just pass it in if it's not convenient for you, if it doesn't get to your reserve, because you choose your own reserve. It was just, it was wild. That was wild.
1: (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) Have there been, um, maybe out of your clients or other things you've seen, have there been any mistakes you've seen people making with property this year?
2: I would say that one of the biggest mistakes or one of the biggest issues that I've seen this year. And this, this always happens when you're in a market, which is um, a cooler market or a buyer's market is just the issue of self-doubt. So you have a lot of self-doubt where there's not, um, I suppose, social proof, or if there's external influences like the media or your friends or your family saying, no, 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 it's not the right time to buy. You just wait, just wait and see what happens. And that's the flip side of, Um, you know, late last year or, you know, pre-COVID when the market was hot and the opposite was happening where it was fear of missing out. So, it was, I've got to buy something because price is increasing and I'm I'm not going to get into the market. So, I would say if I had to choose a market to buy in as a purchaser, I would rather be in a buyer's market where things are a little bit more uncertain, but there's not that heat or that craziness or desperation in the market. So, Mm. having self-doubt, I know is I know that's very relevant, um, but you shouldn't need other people to to validate your own decisions, especially if you're at an auction or you're in a private sale and you're the only one bidding, you're the only one negotiating, you're not negotiating against other people. Well, yes, that's that's that can be a little bit um, scary because you're like, oh my gosh, why does no one else see value here or why does no mm. one else like the property? But I would say better to be in that situation negotiating direct with a vendor than having five other people that you're competing against and paying a much higher price just because, you know, there's, there's strong competition. So yeah, I think, I think self-doubt, self-doubt has been very real this year.
1: Yeah. It's fascinating the role that psychology plays in investing in different types of types of things, especially with property, because you get a lot more commentary from friends, family, colleagues than you do with any other types of investing or buying of Anything you might do,
2: yeah, yeah. I don't think, yeah. There's, there's, I don't know if you're, um, if you go out to dinners, Kate, and you talk to other people about the shares that you're buying, and they say, oh no, I don't, I don't agree with that decision, and these are the reasons behind. You shouldn't consider this. Maybe that's a conversation that you have with your friends, but
1: <laughs> a few of them, <laughs> probably not really less common. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fascinating because uh, everyone has their piece of advice with property, and everyone, whether they've bought property or not, they've got yeah. something to the conversation, which is hundred
2: percent, hundred percent. Yeah. And are there any
1: other challenges you, you're seeing first home buyers facing at the moment?
2: Yeah, I think one of the main ones is probably just the uncertainty still around cash flows and future rate rises and being able to plan accordingly because every every interest rate change does have quite a large impact on those mortgage repayments and those cash flows. So working with a really good mortgage broker and um, sort of assessing your discretionary and non-discretionary spending and making sure you're comfortable with Potential future changes too, so that's been um, that's been a real challenge for first home buyers this year um, because uh, there's, there's also less um, less availability of fixed term um, mortgages too. You used to be able to get one of those, you know, two and a half percent, three percent, amazing. You know what your cash flows are going to be like for a couple of years. Not the same situation anymore. Um, and then also another um, one, and this kind of comes back to that self doubt piece is just the lack of urgency because we don't have that market that's increasing anymore. There's no rush. There's no urgency. And what I find is that a lot of buyers, they tend to then sit back, be less proactive. And sometimes, and I've seen this in the past, then when the market shifts and maybe that'll be in six months or a year or whenever it is, all of a sudden it starts to increase again. And they think, oh my gosh, I've got to to get back in the market. It's starting to increase. And then they miss the boat and then they haven't bought somewhere they could have afforded to or gotten a good opportunity because they've waited too long because there was no urgency and then it becomes too late
1: yeah yeah it's always interesting <laughs> with the timing piece and trying to work it's, all that out but uh. well
2: and and I mean I'm in the market every day and I'm I'm transacting every week and I'm constantly immersed in the market and even for us it can be challenging to see when the tide starts to turn, um, we all of a sudden do get more inquiry, and our building inspectors get more busy. And agents tell us there's more people at opens. But unless you're out there in the market, you won't mm. you won't know. So it's very, very, very hard, if not impossible, to predict the bottom of the market. Yes, same with investing in <laughs> shares. <laughs> well, exactly. Yes, yeah.
1: it's, <laughs> it's uh, you can be waiting a very long time if you try to predict the top and the bottom every time. It doesn't really yeah. make for a, a fun investing journey.
2: And something else really, really, really important to understand is that when it is a buyer's market, stock options, stock as in property uh, <laughs> supply, yep. stock um, supply uh, reduces and especially good quality properties. So, investors might offload their investment properties, but for the good Properties, those vendors aren't necessarily going to sell unless they have to or unless they're upgrading or have a really good reason mm. to. And they'll just they'll just hold on and wait. So, yes, you might have lower prices and less competition, but also less choice. So, all of them are reason to start as soon as you're emotionally and financially ready, not be in a rush, but then when the right property comes up, be in a position where you're ready to 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 buy it. Um, because you might have less choice and therefore it'll take longer to find that property.
1: Now, Amy, I know we've spoken in the past about buying quality properties. And sometimes when it's really easy to buy a particular property, it might be a bit harder when it comes to selling. Have you got any thoughts on what we can look for when we're trying to find a, a quality property to maybe live in as a first home buyer or potentially invest in?
2: Yeah, yep. So when it comes to being a home buyer, the most important thing that you have to focus on as a home buyer in a property is does this meet my brief? Because you've created that brief for yourself as a home buyer. It actually has to suit your needs first and foremost. So you've got your property brief. Does this property tick all of those non negotiable boxes and the locations? And if so, well, that's that's a good property. Um, and you know, sometimes it might have a drawback that from an investment point of view, is a genuine drawback. Like, for example, I've got a client at the moment that's looking at a property and it's on a busy road and they know that that's going to be a more difficult one to sell in the future, but that's what they can afford to get into that suburb, to get into that school zone they really want to be in. So for them, that's fine, but from an investment point of view, it's it's not as desirable. So when it comes to a home, it needs to fulfil your needs. And then from an investment property, we're looking at all right. Well, what are the most what are the desirable characteristics um, that make that property appealing to both owner occupiers and tenants in that location? And there's some general rules we stick to, like um, you know, being in a. a, a, a like being in a location which isn't compromised, like backing onto a train line or on a busy road or, um, you know, the, the right type of zoning, et cetera. Um, what are people looking for in that particular area? Uh are buyers moving to the area because they want family homes? Or um, is it more townhouses? You know, making sure it's got an appealing floor plan. Essentially, just appealing to as many buyers and renters as possible. I know that's a very broad and general (laughs) thing to say. (laughs) Um, But it's because also with investment properties, there's no such thing as this is the best location or this is the best investment property. It's what's the best for that investor based on their budget, their cash flows, their goals, and what they want to achieve with that property. And then we take that investment brief and go and find a location and a house that suits. Hmm. So in short, it has to meet your brief. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yes. Yes. And if you want to do some more work on your property brief and all of that stuff, we do have some uh, hard work Amy's put into our free property course on RASC education. So you can uh, learn more directly from Amy and Chris Bates, a mortgage broker. But Amy, before we wrap up today's conversation, I was wondering if you have maybe a couple, a handful, three tips to share on property for anyone thinking about buying or investing in 2023.
2: Yes. So, um the first one is coming back to that conversation around off-market. So there's a lot when it's a buyer's market, there are a lot more off-markets floating around and the reason is because If an agent is speaking to a vendor and the vendor's not sure because it's not the best time to sell, the agent might say, well, what if I can get you an appealing offer? What if I can get you an offer? Um, You don't have to pay for marketing. You don't have to go through the stress of going online. Would that appeal to you? And you say, yeah, that would be great. So, more off-markets floating around and you actually need to be proactive to get access to these. So, you need to write a list of all the agents in the areas you're looking at, email them, contact them, speak to them, it opens. They're not just going to fall into your lap. So, you need to actively go and find these properties just to give yourselves more options. Um, another tip is to, if you are in an area which which does have auctions like Melbourne and Sydney, prepare for a pass-in. So if you go to that auction and there's no one else bidding and you hold the highest bid, that property passes into you. A lot of people don't prepare for that situation. It can be very stressful, very high pressure. What are you going to say? How are you going to how are you going to um, communicate with that agent? What are you going to focus on? Um, and then also not doubting yourself as well. Just because other people haven't bid doesn't necessarily mean there's something wrong with that property. Make sure that you fall back on your plan and what you had been comfortable with prior. And then focus on that rather than the lack of social proof. And then the last piece is Um, If you're in an area which doesn't have as many auctions, how are you going to be able to make your offer for a property as appealing as possible? So just say you find a property that you love and there is a few other people interested in it. Well, maybe you might do your building inspection beforehand instead of making your offer subject to a building inspection, just to give you a little bit of an edge in case other offers are subject to building inspection. Same um, as finance too, I would never suggest putting an offer in without a subject to finance clause if you need it. But if you're working with a broker and you're in a very comfortable position and you can put an unconditional finance offer forward, that can sometimes save you a lot of money when it comes to negotiating with the vendor or dealing with competition. So what are the things that you can do to make your offer as appealing as possible? And that can actually save you, it can save you cash too.
1: Yeah. Some great tips there, Amy. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us on the finance podcast today. And I hope that gives people a good insight about property heading into 2023. And if people wanted to find out more about you or get in touch or find out about your services, where should they head?
2: So by, I reckon my Instagram, okay. It's probably the best way to um, get in touch with me because it's got all my contact details there. So it's Amy, A-M-Y underscore Lunardi, L-U-N-A-R-D-I underscore property.
1: Nice and easy. I'll put it in the show notes as well if anyone's (laughs) interested in following along with Amy. But thank you so much for joining me on the finance podcast today.
2: Thank you for having
1: me. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, where our mission is to improve the financial futures of all Australians. If you'd like to learn more, create a free account at rusk.com.au forward slash account to download free episode workbooks, bonus resources, and take our amazing free personal finance courses.